0: We're in a series uh, called uh, The Table. Actually, we've named it The Pulpit, The Table and the Square. It's stolen from a book called The Table, The Pulpit and the Square. Did you catch the difference? I bet you didn't. Uh, huge, huge difference. Um, only because we wanted to start out actually just with a uh, different order. Um, but this is a series on the local church church essentially what is a church, what is a local church, and we've spent the last, uh, I guess it's now, this is the sixth week, uh, discussing what it means to be the local church, and today we're looking at leadership, everyone's favorite topic. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I don't think there's something that's come under more scrutiny in the last couple of years than church leadership. Uh, Some of you have experienced deep pain from church leadership. Uh, We've watched uh, probably some of the heroes of our own faith crumble before our eyes in moral failures and uh, losing the faith. And so I don't think there's a a topic that's actually more relevant to our time. So if you're here this morning and, and you're wondering why we need to dive into this, trust me. Uh, We need a biblically informed understanding of leadership if we're going to move forward as a healthy church. So I'm trusting that regardless of which category you fit into, uh, whether you consider yourself a leader or not or are, um, that this is for us. So I want to read the text for us that I'm going to be primarily basing uh, everything out of. It's actually uh, 1 Peter 5. I think I said 1 to 11. I did. So I'm going to read the whole thing. So I'm starting in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word for us. Let me take it. It is probably not something that I need to state out loud. If you're involved in any type of organization, if you have a job where there's leadership, even if you have a job where there's not that the health of your organization is determined by the health of your leaders. Most of you in agreement with that, the health of your family is determined by the health of its leaders. The health of our country, no laughing, (laughs) is determined by the health of our leaders. And conversely, that's also true. The unhealth of our leaders is determinative as well, and I think that is very much the case for the church, that the health of our leaders will determine the health of our church. And, and what I'm proposing uh, to draw out from 1 Peter chapter 5 is not exactly how all of us leaders, particularly at Mission Hill, perfectly act in every way as much as it is the standard and the calling that we have. Uh, now, I, I know it may surprise you, but although I do some eldering here. I'm not actually an official governing elder. I'm not actually part of the elders board at this time. I am a teaching elder, so to speak. So I'm not speaking exclusively from uh, the realm of what I would call a governing elder and a a group of overseers. And this is the way we would define uh, the leadership here, a plurality of qualified male elders, Now, for some of you, you're wondering why we added mail. I actually won't speak to that this morning, but I'd love if you'd come and talk to me after. We can explain more. But we would tie in the government of family with the government of the church is what I would say very simply on that. So I will speak from that assumption from here on out. I I hope uh, you can gather that as we go along. And so how I want to divide it up this morning is simply this way. I want to talk about who leads the church and what motivates them or how they are motivated, and then how to follow them. So who leads the church, how are they motivated, and how to follow them. Because I think we, we could go a lot of places in Scripture for the qualifications for eldership. But here's what I want to do. I want to talk about the motivations For eldership. Because I don't think we talk about them enough. When we talk about qualifications, sometimes what we mean is a standard by which we... Boxes by which we can check off. But you notice you can't really check off a box when it it comes to motivations, right? Uh, This is proven by the fact that it is very, very difficult to not only uh, try or bring to case first-degree murder but it's nearly impossible to do without a confession because first-degree murder in our country demands a clear motive, premeditated motive, and it is so hard to prove that unless you have a confession, you generally don't get it. So I understand that motives are actually hard to prove. They're hard to put our finger on, which is why we're going to need God's Spirit if we're going to understand how to be motivated correctly. But first of all, who leads a church? So when we see the word elder, actually when we see the word pastor, when we see the word overseer, when we see the word bishop even, uh, the, the New Testament seems to use these terms interchangeably. They do mean slightly varying different things, but essentially they all mean the same thing. But the word pastor or elder is actually the word Shepherd. I don't know if you knew that. That's very helpful because most of us have shepherding in our background, right? So I don't need to go into this. Does anyone have shepherding besides Renee? I know Renee has shepherding in her background. And she's the envy of all of us. But this is not a term that we use very often, but it is incredibly helpful. One of the things we did at Academy was watch a video uh, it, it's about four Pakistani shepherds who are presently shepherding. And the, uh, the, the, the connections between, like, church work and pastoring were incredible for modern-day shepherding. I mean, they, it was funny to watch these shepherds on these rocky cliffs, and then they pull out their cell phones and text people and listen to music, and, you know, then, then they would cook their, like, primitive meals. Um, But this idea of shepherd would have been very common in the day. And when you look throughout uh, the Bible, uh, you see the word elder, which is shepherd, show up. You also see the word shepherd show up. And it seems like those are fairly interchangeable. And, And to tell you the truth, it's not an exclusively biblical idea. Because there were pretty much every ancient city had elders of that city, and they would meet at the city gates. And I, I for one, have never been able to get really clear answers on how did they choose these elders? Uh, How did they come together? How many were there? There seems to be a general consensus that when you were ready to be an elder, everyone knew it, and everyone affirmed it. That's just how it worked. Man, don't you miss those days sometimes? This idea of eldership, therefore, is, is really somewhat unclear most of Scripture. And then it gets a little bit clarified in the New Testament here. But this image of a shepherd uh, is very important because we see actually that, that God uses this image, the image of a shepherd, which is assuming there are sheep, which assumes there's a flock and there's leaders. Now, this is actually how we see the text described. The shepherd, the flock of God among you. He's not talking about some of you have like sheep and you're, you know, into animal husbandry and all that sort of thing. You know, he's saying to church, lead the church and it's such a beautiful me- metaphor when you when you think of things like uh, god collecting his scattered sheep who who don't know better they're off, they're, they're off they're caught in in branches they they're, they're they're tipped upside down and don't know how to get themselves up and so you have uh, the the image of the good shepherd in psalm 23 right the lord is my shepherd very famous picture of a shepherd which was written by an actual shepherd David, who before he was king, was a shepherd. And some of us have an image of a shepherd being someone who doesn't like hard work, who likes art, probably plays the mandolin on the side. It's not the image of the shepherd that would come from the text. Uh, It would be more like the plumbers, the electricians, perhaps even the roofers, the people that do the stuff that no one else wants to do, the tough people, kind of crazy a little bit, you'd have to be crazy to do that. I I can say that because I work construction and I tell you the truth. Roofers were always the crazy ones, (laughs) right? They were always the ones who maybe not everything was there. The elevator wasn't always going to the top of the floor, if you know what I'm saying. Shepherds were like this. It was a difficult job. It was lonely. It was dangerous. Uh, Because you were dealing with animals, it often made you, as a Jewish person, very unclean and therefore could never enter into worship like everyone else could. So it excluded you from community. But it's a good image, good enough that in John chapter 20, when Peter... The very person who wrote this was speaking to Jesus at one of the last recorded places that he was. Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yes, I do. He's like, then feed my lambs. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He's like, yep. You heard me the first time, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, we've been over this. I said yes. It's a little offensive now. And he says, once again, then please feed my sheep. That's the same amount of times that Peter denied Jesus. That's exactly why he says that. If you really love me, this is how your love will translate. You will take care of my disciples. You see how important that is? How helpful that is? Now, what do shepherds do? And that's what we find in... uh, the rest of chapter 5 there. First of all, it's not really in the text, but the first thing that, that shepherds do is they feed, and that comes from other places in Scripture where the same metaphor is used. Shepherds feed and tend flocks. You still with me? It's not difficult, right? Tend and feed flocks. What does feeding look like if we're using this metaphor for our shepherds? Well, uh, we have a diet called the Word of God. And I would say this isn't exclusively restricted to the Bible alone, but I would say it's the gospel. The Word of God is often interchangeable with the gospel in the New Testament. And I would say one of the elders' primary jobs to feed is to make sure that all the flock has access to the gospel regularly. That means This group, large group. But it also means small group, academy. It also means children's ministry. It also means the small groups that meet during the week. It also means the men's and women's Bible studies. It also means in conversation with one another that one of the primary ways in which elders take care of their flock is to feed them with the gospel. And I will say this very clearly, whether you like it or not, You see, a shepherd cannot use what you like as determinant of what they do. If you watch a shepherd and a sheep says, well, I think this way is better, a good shepherd will go, it is not a good way, and they'll grab the hind leg and pull them backwards and say, this is the way that you need to go. This is where there's green grass. Your way is toward a cliff, and you're going to fall over. You don't know that, but it's true. Trust me. You see, elders, this is why we take time to do this. This is why we prepare for our messages and our teaching. This is why we do training to help people understand the gospel. Because if we lose that, then we don't actually have the ability to grow and mature as sheep. That's why. The reason why elders need to feed their flock with the gospel is that you'll die without it. That's why. Now, this should help you understand immediately the kinds of ways you can respond. You can respond kindly to this and see this, or you can make it difficult. We've all seen that, right? Some of us have children. Some of them are easy. Some of them are not. Some of them go willingly. Some of them do not. But you notice for, for the children who... Don't easily follow your relationship with them, consists essentially of calming them down and telling them to just take it easy, it doesn't go much beyond that. And so, there's, a, there's an opportunity here to, to respond, even though I'll, I'll show you that from the text at the end. They are, secondly, they're examples. Healthy shepherds are examples. Here's where I get that from. Uh, Peter says, as a fellow elder, as a fellow elder. Now, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go like really high church on you all, but you know that Peter is essentially the kind of the, the head of the church, so to speak. He's essentially handed the keys from Jesus to the coming kingdom. He's the, he's, he's the lead guy of that First discipleship team, that first apostolic team. It regularly shows up in scripture. In our study in Galatians, it seems like Peter's just, he was just the guy. He was the he was the first among equals, so to speak. Now, if you were in charge of all of that, would you not appeal to that if you needed to? Right? You ever use that as a boss? I'm the boss, do what I say. I'm the mom, do what I say right? Peter doesn't do this. He says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, as someone who's suffered and watched the sufferings of Christ. What's Peter trying to do? He's saying, I'm not above you, by the way. Just because I'm giving you this charge, I am not here and you're here. We're all under shepherds, all of us. I love this. This is the true healthy eldership an eldership that never uses their position of authority to look down on anyone but says, yes, I'm, I'm happy being an example for the rest of you. I'm, I'm happy uh, showing you what this looks like. Uh, This kind of elder that's described here as a fellow elder, one who uses their own experience, is the kind of elder that no one is afraid of uh, sending disciples to. No one's afraid of the disciples that they make. They say, if you don't know how to live the Christian life, watch that guy. That's what this is saying. I mean, that's a high calling as elders, isn't it? Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm not doing that just on that. So you can start to see how important this, this, this is. That if part of this is how we follow God, how we follow Jesus, which is the example I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people who sin less than other people. Some of you actually might think that. The elders are people that just sin a whole lot less than the rest of us. No, they don't. But they are people who are displays and examples of how to repent and believe rhythmically, regularly. They are constantly examining their own lives and allowing other people to examine their own lives and point out their sin and repenting of it and asking forgiveness of it and growing in it. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about examples. This isn't sin management. This isn't trying to get away from um, simply, I'm better than everyone else. This is, I I know how to repent, and I do it all the time. That's the example that Peter is laying out here. Thirdly, they protect, which means they know danger. I want to read Acts 20 to 28. It says, pay careful attention. This is the apostle Paul, different apostle, same message. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men twist, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Some of you are like, Wolves? Who are the wolves? What's this look like? Uh, But the text actually explains this. A wolf is someone who's interested in building their own kingdom instead of the kingdom of Jesus. That's how you can tell a wolf. I I think what I don't want us to do is to, to, after this, to, you know, start, like, wolf hunting clubs and look for all the wolves that are amongst us. I don't want hashtag found a wolf showing up after this message. Okay? But... One of the things that will tip you off is they're far more interested in building their own church than they are in building God's church. They will not be happy when you go to another flock because that doesn't make us feel as good. A true shepherd will say, what I really care about is that you grow and mature in Jesus Christ. And honestly, you should go wherever you need to go to get that done. That's what a real shepherd would do. This is how you can spot them. This is how you know you're starting to think like a shepherd. If that's the case, now I'm a nerd, and I looked up wolves killing sheep on YouTube. Yes, I did. It's in my history. You can find it. Didn't find much, unfortunately. I'm gonna keep looking after the service, but I did find an article about it from a sheep uh, raiser. I don't know what do what they call sheep raisers? Shepherds? Um, do they still call them shepherds? I Kind of. This is, this is what they said. Actually, it doesn't help to kill all the wolves that come into your flock because uh, it actually breaks up the whole order of how a pack works and it messes up the ecosystem really bad and, and doesn't end up helping. Plus, if you kill all the wolves in a pack, just another pack comes in. They said this is what you need to do to get rid of the wolves get some guard dogs that bark. That's kind of cool. Or donkey. Donkeys will work. For some reason, donkeys don't care about whether they take on a pack of wolves. But um, it's interesting when we watched this video of this shepherd that that he he was asked, what what happens when a, a wolf or an animal shows up? And he said, if there's only one dog, he'll just sit there and bark. He won't take them on by himself. They will only take on a wolf or an animal if there's a group of them. I heard if there's a plurality of dogs, qualified dogs, that's how you take this down. You see why I go back to this this plurality? This isn't a CEO model where one person gets their way. It's dangerous. It's not biblical, actually. There's a plurality of elders that really, really really matters to this. And this is the way we protect flocks. When we see people that are dividing one another, we've got to have sit-downs. When we see people uh, introducing doctrine that is actually poisonous to our flock, we've we've got to have a sit-down. We as a group have to have a sit-down and say, is this infectious? Is this causing disturbance? Is this causing people to split apart from one another? Half of our church splits, I bet, could be solved if el- plurality of elders just got together and worked hard to make sure that whenever a divisive doctrine came in, they, they worked it through. This is for our protection. Lastly, they steward. This is from uh, chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, shepherd the flock of God. Here's what I want you to concentrate on. That is among you. I love that. That is so helpful. Because here's what I think most of us do. Shepherd the flock of God that you wish you had. Or that you really want. Or that they have down there at that street. And sometimes we go to a conference to learn about how to disciple our people because we want to shepherd the flock they have instead of shepherd the flock we have. This prevents us from complaining about things like, well, I wish our church was like this. Uh Uh-uh, shepherd the flock we have. If you have a sick flock, it's what you have. It's what Jesus gave to us. This, this is a high standard for our shepherds. That if, if we talk too much about what our church could be or should be, that's also dangerous. Because sometimes we need to simply go, this is where our church is and where we're at. And sure, we would like this. Sure, we would like this kind of pace to what we're doing. But you know what? Some of our sheep can't run that fast, and so we won't. Or some of our sheep um, need to run faster because it's, it's bad for them what's happening. So we need to speed up a bit. What was so interesting about this video, um, and you can email me if you want a link to it, um, but when the shepherd was asked, what do you watch for? How do you watch for the whole flock? This was like 500 or 600 sheep. And they said, oh, we don't pay attention to all the middle. <laughs> Stunning. Like virtually nothing in the middle. They kind of took care of themselves. He said, What we watch for is those at the front and those at the back. Because those at the front are going to wander off and take on things that they don't belong, taken on. And those at the back are weak and injured and probably need some help. And so that's how they kind of monitored it. Some sheep, well, they just want to go too fast, but they don't really know where they're going. Sheep don't really lead at all, they're followers. That's why if one takes off, so do all the rest of them, right? If one crazy sheep just says, I'm going this direction, it's like 40 sheep. Let's go that direction. What's over there? I have no idea, but they're going there, so that's where I'm going. Because that's what we're kind of like, isn't it? So what do you have to do? You have to watch the sheep that's almost always ready to take off. Because a bunch of others will follow. But you also have to watch what's behind. Because if you don't, that sheep determines the speed instead of the shepherds. So this is, this is a call to steward the flock that we have. This will require that we get to know you and get to know each other. This will require that you open up to some of your issues. This will require, hey, I have these questions about this. So this is a call both to shepherds to say, pay attention, but also to the flock to say, let us in. Because both those things could be the case. I've known a lot of sheep in my life, and there are some sheep that no matter how hard you try, they will not let you in to their life. And you have no idea how to take care of them. And sometimes they turn around and get angry that you can't take care of them. When the reality is you just never let them see what it is that's going on. So there's no way that they can help you. Sometimes shepherds are not paying attention at all. And sheep are begging, pleading, help me, help me, help me. So this is a, this is a healthy ideal that we're aiming for. So firstly, who leads the church? Secondly, how are they motivated? That's... That's verses uh, 2 through 3 and 4. And I think, I don't know, but it seems like Peter has read the 34th chapter of Ezekiel, which is very common to all of us. Um, The 34th chapter is all about bad shepherds. So sometimes God teaches about his his, uh, character by describing what's bad, or sometimes he teaches us about ourselves by describing what's bad. And here's what he said. Ezekiel 34, so this is just just before he sends them into exile for what I would call a 70-year spiritual spanking. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness, You ruled them. So this was the criticism of the shepherds, the leaders of God's people. But what we see in Peter, firstly, when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, what does he say? Not under compulsion, but willingly. Gladly, with eagerness to serve. That's what it says right in the text. With eagerness to serve as God would have you. In other words, these elders that Peter is laying out ideally are those who do not desire to be fed, but desire to feed. This is the natural stage of maturity, right? Like, as you grow up, uh, how many of you have a 70-year-old in your basement who still asks you to feed them? Anyone? No? Because we understand that that's a sign of immaturity, right? That would be a little deadly. You're like, man, if they're 18 and they're doing that, that's a sign of immaturity. And we, we may or may not agree with that. But the natural process that we move through in our lives is we learn to be fed, and then we learn to feed ourselves, and then we learn to feed others, and then we learn to teach people how to cook. That's a natural progression of maturity. And so elders are always people who, while they enjoy being fed, desire to feed primarily. Have you reached that point in your spiritual life where that is important to you? Where you're part of a church family because you're looking for people to feed? This is the natural stage of maturity in a Christian's life. This is their motivation. They're eagerly desiring this. This doesn't mean, however, that you, you, you have to have the perfect Christian background in order to do this. And some of you are like, well, I, I, don't, I don't, like, I've really been hurt by church and by church leadership, and so therefore I'm probably disqualified. Let me, let me tell you a story about my late father-in-law. Is, is it seven, seven years on, in June? Somewhere in there. Seven years my father-in-law has been with Jesus. And one of my favorite things about my father-in-law was the fact that he was so good to his girls. He was such a great model for me. He was very intentional, very planned out. So I still haven't learned that yet, but I'm learning. But he took the time to make sure that he knew who they were and how to help them. He prayed for them regularly. He, he, he made a path for them. Now, my father-in-law was one of the best fathers I have ever met in my life. Here's what's so unique about my father-in-law's story. He did not even know his own father. We think he knew who he was. We think he met him. But he never knew him. He learned how to be a father despite the fact that he had no example because he said to me at uh, once, he said, at some time, you just have to make a decision, Trev. Are you going to grow up? (laughs) Are you going to grow up? He never told me to grow up. He just said, at some point, you got to make a decision. Are you going to grow up? I think that's a a call for, for everyone. A shepherd not only wants to grow up, they want to help others grow. That's the deep desire. Here's the cool thing. Jesus has wired the process of discipleship so that when you desire to help other people grow, so do you. That's how it works. It's rigged. It's a rigged system that's designed to mature us as we help others mature. Good, healthy elders always want you to be, to be maturing in Jesus Christ. Secondly, uh, in 5 verse 2, not under compulsion willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. That word has a monetary slant to it, not for shameful gain, because elsewhere in Scripture we do see that it is all right for pastors especially teaching pastors to receive compensation for this there are some denominations that don't believe that compensation is biblical I would say yes it is it doesn't say gain it says shameful gain means greedy pastors means pastors who are in it for the money I know you should laugh at that because most most of you are like in it for the money (laughs) yeah trust me it's not the best way to make money in this city But that doesn't mean I can still not be greedy. I I can still see it as an easy way to make a living. I could still only do it if I'm being paid. That's one of the things that should tip you off, particularly about compensated elders. Would they pastor people if they weren't getting paid for it? Is that their motivation? Now, I can honestly say, although I didn't want this season of my life, that there was a season where I wasn't paid as a pastor, and guess what? I still ended up pastoring people, and they still came to me as their pastor. And it was one of the gifts that Jesus gave to me because it helped me to understand I'm not motivated by money, although I do need to get a paycheck somewhere. But there are so many elders... In this world, pastors that are motivated by this. Generous, not for selfish gain. It's actually one of my favorite things about Aaron. He's so generous. So generous. There's no question in my mind that your lead pastor would do this for free if he could. And no matter. Where he is in the world, no matter what he's doing in this world, he will pastor people. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And that's why he's so easy to follow for me. You see what this does? It draws you to people and go, I can follow that. I love that. I want to be like that. We have great elders here. And I know their motivations because I see how hard they work, and I see how little they get in return sometimes. They're also gentle, not domineering. That's a big problem for us in this culture. That's probably why some of you are like, I can't believe in this whole shepherd thing because you've experienced a domineering shepherd. And you know a domineering shepherd, even if you don't know how to describe it, they're the kind of people that says, do as I say, not as I do. We've, we've got a few cards as parents. I, I, I say there's probably five times in your life where you can legitimately tell your children because I said so and get away with it. Am I right, parents? But after that, they tune out. So use your cards wisely because it doesn't work. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying you can do it, but it's not going to work. Trust me. It just doesn't work. When you have to tell people to follow you because you're in charge and they're not. It does not work. Those churches empty out so fast. Because nobody actually wants a shepherd like this. So this is Peter simply saying, don't use the authority which you have, which you have been given by God. So if you want to resist this idea of authority... Peter is very clear. There is authority that's given to elders for this purpose. But don't misuse it because it will destroy not only you but everyone else. A good shepherd is someone who wants to serve, not be in control. And a, and a good shepherd is someone who understands that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, the reason why a a shepherd can do all this without worrying about gain is because a good shepherd has the long view in mind and is actually content with investing in God's kingdom because one day there's a check coming, but it's not in this life. It's in the next. A good shepherd is someone who says, I'm okay putting in my time without any kickback because I don't work for anyone who exists in this world alone. I, my boss is eternal. My boss doesn't miss anything, and my boss will give me exactly what he thinks I need when he thinks I need it. So who leads? What should motivate them? But lastly, how to follow them? This is, this is our part as God's flock. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders, and submit to them. That's a swear word in today's culture, isn't it? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Here's what Peter says. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Just so you know, this isn't exclusively to younger people, but it certainly is. Because if there's anything, and I was one once, young men have the most difficult time submitting to people. Amen? Any, any, any have sons? Yep. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm talking about. Preach it, right? Yeah. I don't. I, I, but I was one. And I know how unsubmissive I was. And I know how much I needed to hear that. And this isn't for the young men in the room. This is just to say, some, for some of you, this will be easier than for others. But because God's given us this image to lead, I think men in particular have trouble submitting. But here, here's the reality. We all submit to somebody. Every single person submits to someone somewhere. So if you won't submit to them, just wait a while, and you'll still have to submit to someone else. But this idea of submission, I don't want you to hear it as this aggressive, do as I say, but... but Simply something that can only happen if the rest of the passage is paid attention to, because it says this clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. In other words, what Peter is actually saying is you can't submit until you humble yourself. It's impossible to submit to someone unless you are humble. Pride people do not submit, humble people do. And submission actually only comes into play when you disagree with someone. I have no problem submitting to people who already do everything that I want to do anyways. That's not an issue. Submission really only comes into play when I think I know better than that person. And I'm not talking about don't, you know, submit in everything even if there's bad doctrine. That's not what Peter is saying at all. He's he's not saying, like, if, if these elders are... Telling you to submit to them and they're giving you bad doctrine and do it anyways. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying, there will come times where because they're shepherds and they have a point of view, they will see things a certain way and they may ask you to do something that you don't really understand or like. And the call to us as a flock is first let's humble ourselves and say... We're actually not in charge, but our chief shepherd is. And if this is what our chief shepherd wants at this point in time, then that's something we got to take up with him. You're, you can take it up with the chief shepherd, but he, he's going to get his way. And there's always this opportunity in the Bible to submit that you can do it willingly or you can do it unwillingly. There is a description at the end of all things. <laughs> where Judgment Day is described. And in that day, the Bible says, you will submit. You will bow the knee to Jesus. The question is only, do you want to do it now or later? And so this, these are tough words for us. Because we, we, we won't like everything that happens. But th- this is why the text ends with this. The devil's prowling around looking for us. Looking for the weak people, right? How, how does a lion hunt? Have you ever watched a lion hunt? Again, my YouTube history will show I have. <laughs> you know how they hunt? First of all, they hunt in packs. Second of all, they look for the weakling, they look for the old. They single them out, they get them away from everyone else where they're by themselves and they don't have their community and they attack them all at once. And this is what the devil wants to do, he doesn't want you to submit to your loving shepherds. He he wants to single you out. He wants to get you away from community so that he can devour you. If you want to know why we as shepherds think it's so important that you're connected to community it's because we know what the lion looks like. We know that the lion's been prowling around. He's looking for the stray, the weak, the helpless. We know he's going to prey in on them and we don't want that we want you to be in the herd where there's safety <laughs> so friends the reality is this will all be impossible to both be a great shepherd and to follow any shepherds if you first of all haven't understood who the chief shepherd is you you can't actually do it in the heart you have naturally you have to have a supernatural heart you have to have a heart that actually follows the chief shepherd and the Bible says that all of our hearts, we are all like sheep gone astray. It means we start out with the premise that we think we're better shepherds than he is. And that we don't want to follow him. And that we don't want to give in to his leadership in our lives. 1 Peter 2:25, Peter's actually already used this theme. He says, For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so this is the way I would say the only way we can obey this is to have your heart and my heart overturned by the great overseer, by the great elder, by the great shepherd who leads us beside paths of still water, green pastures, who's with us in the valley of the shadow of death, who presents a banqueting table before us in the presence of our enemies. Friends, as you wrestle to obey God, don't forget to first turn to your great shepherd that he may change that heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that, as we sang, that you would continue to be our vision as a church family. That you would continue to establish us as a healthy church. We thank you, Jesus, for the healthy shepherds that you have given to us to lead. Today, we're welcoming a new one and we thank you for bringing Grant, a great shepherd, into our midst to lead us. Jesus, bring many more and may those of us who are never going to be shepherds, be prayer warriors for our shepherds who help protect them, defend them, make it easy for them. May we be an easy flock to shepherd. We can't do this without your help, Jesus, so we we need your spirit to supernaturally break into all of the dark, rebellious corners of our own hearts. And so we ask these things through the power of your name. Amen.